Lord, make that our prayer tonight. Father God, that we can look at everything this life throws at us and everything you allow to happen. And God, we can say that it is well because we have a strong Savior and a glorious Master. God, someone who says that I'll never let you walk alone. I'll never let you go through struggle alone. So God, we know that whatever happens, it will be well. God, because we know you use hard times, you use trials to increase our perseverance, our character, and our faith as well. God, we realize that it's because of your love that you allow us to go through time. the Gospel of John. And um, actually, we've moved forward just only slightly in the story, in the Gospel narrative, because um, I believe last week, uh, Case finished up Chapter 5. And uh, in Chapter 6, we're going to look, or Case will take a look next week, I believe, at a chapter that has uh, some amazing stories in it, right? We've got the feeding of the 5,000, five barley loaves, two fish, right? And um, we see God showing up with his power over creation. Uh, He becomes kind of the Pied Piper. People are following Jesus. And uh, we also find this moment in time when they are out on the water and Jesus walks to them and then this crazy moment happens. Right, it's a, I call it the first Star Trek moment in the New Testament. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's when literally they're transported immediately from one place to another. In the Gospel narrative, it actually has him stepping on the boat and, the boat, and then it says immediately they're on the shore. I don't know exactly how that happened, but if you were a disciple, I would think you would think it was pretty cool. And, uh, and so uh, we have all that happening, and right after that, there's this discussion that Jesus has, and it's called the Bread of Life Discourse. 
many call it that. Now, it's not found in the Gospel of Mark. So, see, I'm giving you a little bit of an addendum to next week. So, this is what's happening. After, after the events unfold that you'll look at next week, this event happens. Although it's not in the Gospel of Mark. All right? So, the disciples, they, um, they get in their boats after the feeding of the 5,000. And they go over across to Capernaum. Right? And uh, Jesus... Hops on, and they're immediately there on the other side. And the next morning, the crowd wakes up, and they're not there. And they're scratching their heads, and they're like, hey, where did, where did these guys go? Well, it says here in John chapter 6, verse 22, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, quite frankly, what we discover in this passage is that they really were not that concerned with the time of morning or day that Jesus showed up. If anything, they were a little perturbed that their bread source had left, right? That all of a sudden, potentially their needs were not. I mean, he had done a great job of meeting their needs. And now it's like, hey, Jesus, what? now you show up over here. I mean, hey, what's going on here? Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In verse 27 here, here's what Jesus does. He starts to clarify motives. There's food that spoils people. There's food that endures. And he's not talking about the difference between like deli meat and spam, right? He's saying, listen, that you're, you're, you're actually more interested in satisfying your stomach and not your heart. You're interested in the here and now and not the eternal. And if we were just to pause for just a minute, does that, does that not define us so often, right? Um, life gets filled up so quick. Uh, we've got five kids in our house. Life gets filled up before I even get a bed. Um, typically, one is already at the side of the bed before I can get, even get out. Life gets filled up so fast. Work and paying bills and you're in school doing homework and cleaning the house and going to practices and more work and you wake up and the day starts all over again. And the next Sunday rolls around and you just hear a message and you get inspired again and you think, oh, wow, yeah, I intended to spend more time here in his love letter and I intended to get in my prayer closet more and I intended to, and it's all, all the immediacies of life get put, get put on the forefront and the eternal gets pushed out. Verse 28, then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? They missed the point. You can almost circle that word do there. In the verse, they missed the point. Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one 
he has sent. Jesus nudges them toward this understanding of his identity. Verse 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're moving into this, hey, why don't you prove it? Oh, yeah? Well, well, what about this? Well, what about, you know, and I think about, again, life with my kids. I remember whenever we were first playing. I, I used to love playing Lego. You know, anybody do Lego thing when you're little? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, back then, it, I didn't even, I don't remember ever playing with a big Lego. But our, our, our daughters, you know, I remember when they got the little bit bigger pieces of Lego. Not the big monster ones, but just the medium-sized ones. And my, my, my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter were playing. I remember my youngest daughter walking up to me, and she's like, Look at this daddy a car. And it was basically just like a wall on wheels. That's all it was, right? And so, and then Shaylee would go, oh, yeah, well, look at this. And then it'd be like a house on wheels, you know. And they just kept one-upping each other. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And they just kept building and building and building and building. And in this discussion, we get this one-upmanship. They're saying here in this passage, um, Jesus, uh, what about Moses? I mean, yeah, okay, feeding the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes. Here's the deal. Moses fed a nation for 40 years. Manna from heaven. What have you done? Verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, hey, God did it, by the way, just in case anybody was keeping score. Not Moses. And the bread that you're missing, the bread that you can have now, is shaped in the form of a Messiah. It's me. Sir, verse 36, they said, from now on, give us this bread. The crowd is still misunderstanding. The crowd is still confused. The crowd is still thinking in physiological, materialistic thinking. Verse 35, Jesus extends this offer of salvation. I am the bread of life, Jesus declares. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to you. And whomever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Now, by the way, that's a great verse if you want to underline that for those who believe in eternal security. It's basically Jesus saying, oh, excuse me, just, just in case anybody was curious, I am the eternal guarantee. <laughs> you placed your faith and trust in my Father. I'm good for it. So Jesus extends his offer of salvation here in this passage. Uh, keep going. Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. But the crowd rejects this offer. It doesn't make sense to them. Right? Doesn't make sense because after all, he's ah, he's the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Verse forty one. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, 
I came down from heaven. At this point, it's almost like in verse 43, and we're not going to read this little portion here, but it's almost like in verse uh, 43, I hear the song echoing in my mind, the a song my kids learned at church a while back, and, and the chorus went something like this, Are you grumbly hateful or humbly grateful? What's your attitude? Right? Now, I, not that I think Jesus went into a song and dance here, but he very well could have. All right? Going, excuse me. Sometimes I just think musicals. I'm sorry. But it's almost like, here's Jesus going, hold on. Stop your grumbling. Have you missed the last 48 hours? Amazing thankful heart. Could be here, but instead. Wow. Speaks to me. (laughs) So we get through 43, we move to 47. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Focal verse for this evening. Jesus offers again. Again, most of my life I kind of see through the lives of my children. Uh, One of the things they love to have me fix for them is pancakes. And uh, whether they're for breakfast or dinner, it doesn't really matter. Last night our girls were having a sleepover at some friend's house. And uh, my my boys woke up this morning and, you know, I mean, they don't get invited to go to the girls' sleepover, right? They're still too little and they don't get to do all the other fun things that your sister's doing. So I'm thinking, it's special when I do pancakes, so I'm going to fix pancakes for them, right? So I said, you know, pancakes, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm up at 7 o'clock this morning and fix it, you know, and I, I get the eggs out and the and everything, and, I, and I'm, the, I'm the from scratch kind of guy, right? And so, sometimes I actually use Aunt Jemima original, right? But I even like it if you just go from scratch from the whole thing. I mean, I just, I, I like doing that kind of thing. And so, you know, I get, but here's the, here's the reality. If what I had done was, if I had set them at the table with a plate and a fork and some syrup and butter and an egg and oil and a little bit of milk, first of all, I think my two-year-old would have created an enormous mess. But second of all, I think both of them would have significantly rebelled. They would not have known what to do with that. Why? Because the primary ingredient was missing. The mix was not there. It had to be there. And Jesus says, you guys are missing something. And when I read this, read this again this afternoon, I thought, wow, he's speaking to me about this. Because how often do we have a lot of ingredients on the table? This week, we will fill up our life with a lot of ingredients. And Jesus says, time out. Don't forget, I am the bread of life. The meal that you've prepared for this week might be missing the main ingredient if you're not careful. Verse 49, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the non-negotiable in life's recipe. Verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, they they don't like what he's saying. Most of them probably don't comprehend what he's saying. 
they can't get past the fact that he's asking them to be cannibalistic, first of all. And that really is bothersome to them. But I think the imagery is very difficult for them. And they're saying, I can't really accept this message, Jesus. And they start to make excuses with, with why they need to just turn the channel. Give me the remote. Let's do, let's replay, hey, let's replay that super fish and wonder bread again, Jesus. We like that message. I like that channel. I'm not good with this one. I came across this a while back. It's, it's just this excuses. It's, it's imagining the excuses that someone might give for why they would never eat. Uh, I don't eat anymore. I have to skip a, 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 a slide there. It'll come up after that verse, after those verses. Why I never eat. I don't eat anymore because, number one, I was forced to eat as a child. Number two, people who eat all the time are hypocrites. They aren't really hungry. Number three, there are so many different kinds of food, I just can't decide what to eat. Number four, I used to eat, but I got bored and stopped. Number five, I only eat on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Number six, none of my friends will eat with me. Number seven, I'll start eating when I get older. Number eight, I don't really have time to eat. Number nine, I don't believe that eating does anybody any good. It's just a crutch. Number ten, restaurants and grocery stores are only after my money. (laughs) Those are silly, right? Nobody would ever come with those excuses. I mean, this is ridiculous. But to keep him from being the bread of our life and then to toss excuses back to him like, I don't really like what I see in other Christians, Jesus. Or, well, I've just been busy. Or, you know, I don't really have time because, after all, you didn't create a 25-hour day. When I get older, Jesus, when I finish partying, Jesus, when life starts to slow down, Jesus, well, the church really treated me bad, Jesus. Let's go back to the passage, John six fifty three. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I live, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Obviously, Jesus was using a figure of speech here, a metaphor. He wasn't literally speaking about himself as bread any more than he was literally a lion or a lamb or some other symbol used to describe the Messiah. And the symbol that he uses, though, is so very valid for that moment. Because the people in the ancient Near East saw bread as the means for sustaining life. They didn't understand meals without it. And so as you begin to think through in their eyes what that means, sometimes it's hard in our Americanized version of bread to get there. Because we see bread as the carb that, that keeps us from the body that we want to have, right? We see it as a necessary evil at times for meals just because we love to eat it so much. But they saw it as a necessary ingredient. And he was speaking in their, in their, in their lingo, in their words, in their imagery where they're like, yeah, okay, bread. Three categories of people in the story. In the response, which I find so very interesting. The first category 
open defection. These are the people who were attracted to Jesus, but while they were impressed with the crowd, they didn't. By, impressed by the size of the crowd, but impressed with what Jesus was doing at first, but they didn't stick around. Look at this on verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning of which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that none, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Verse 66, key verse. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. There were lots of people at the picnic. They couldn't wait to see how Jesus was going to show up for Easter Sunday. What's he going to do there? The works, the words, the wonder bread, the super fish. But when the points of his sermon got sharp, they retreated to the back pew. And some even walked away. These followers were unbelievers and they really decided that the demands of Christ were too much. I mean, after all, let's think about Jesus was saying. He was saying things like, die to self. He was giving them an example of an upside-down world, leaders who serve. The first will be last. Live a pure and holy life. Love your enemies. I think as 21st century Americanized believers, we have two options, right? We can embrace the faith that still sees followers of Christ martyred every day on this planet. Or we can embrace and live out or attempt to the American dream. Open defection doesn't normally occur in the same way that it happened in this story, though. It doesn't normally happen with half of you walking out before I finish, which is basically what happened with Jesus. I think open defection in our context might be someone showing up for a service and saying, ah, that's too hard. Or hearing a discussion that you might have at your workplace or in your neighborhood and turning away and saying, no, can't, can't go there, can't do that. I think open defection certainly still happens in our context. As a matter of fact, when you look at our more and more ever-increasing secularized society, is it not filled with people who have at some point openly defected? Sure it is. That's why I find it so amazingly refreshing when we do things like dinner with the pastor, uh, starting point, and even group link, and to hear people's stories here about how at some point they had walked away and yet now have returned. The beautiful place to be, I think, this church, to see that. Maybe some of you, that's your story. But there was this open defection that was taking place. But that wasn't the only thing that was happening. There was also this firm determination. Check this out, verse 67 and 60 through 69. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And he knows. He's the Son of God. He, he knows what's in their hearts. Yet he asked them, I believe, so that they can verbally speak and have great confidence with what they really were feeling in their hearts. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what's interesting is, although he makes this confession, we realize it's still a process with the disciples. I mean, they've got a long way to go. But they're trying. Right? The crowds thinned, but Christ's closest disciples stood firm in this moment early on. I think that's a huge place for us to sit for a minute and just consider. Do we ever walk down the road that's less traveled? Or is our path typically in the course of a week filled with everybody else walking in the same direction? Whether or not we're students or adults, whatever. If we're a follower of Christ, if I don't ever look like a salmon <laughs> swimming upstream, if there's not fewer people on my road at times, I've got the question, what am I doing? I, yeah, I think in the, in the areas of, you know, question whether this, whether, whether to run this down for a minute, but I will. I think that sometimes in areas of even what we, what we view, what we watch, what we allow ourselves exposed to, as a youth pastor for so many years, you know, I would have kids ask me the question, um, why, why does it say adult content? What makes it okay for them? The word adult, does that make it better? And in, in conversations that I would have with students that I was discipling, that I was working through this whole process, you know, I, mean, I would always step back and, say, and real quick go, well, you know, first of all, let me be clear here. I am not your Holy Spirit. <laughs> You've got to sink yourself into the Word and allow Christ to live and breathe in you so that conviction comes. And I firmly believe that. But at the same time, there's something inside of me that is very curious about this Christianized adult culture of ours that somehow, some way, believes that we can be mature and it be mature and be okay with watching things that sometimes we wouldn't allow our teenagers to watch. Or hear certain things that we wouldn't allow them to hear. That somehow because we put the adult label on it, it makes us okay. That somehow there's a different level of Holy Spirit with us than with them. That there's a different level of purity, of holiness, of what is righteous versus unrighteous. I don't know. I think um, some of the struggles that I experienced in working with teenagers, quite frankly, oftentimes was a result of the lack of filtering that their own parents had in the house. I think I don't think that. I know that is reality. And so, all that to say, I think it's just one example of us asking ourselves the question, am I walking down this road that does seem to thin at times? Because if I am, I'm headed in the right direction. The crowd was thinning because Jesus' words were hard. As we continue, one other category. There was open defection. There was certainly firm determination. But there was this third category. And I just wrote in there, subtle deception. John 6, 70, 71. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Verse 71, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who 
though one of the twelve was later to betray him. All right, so standing in the middle of this chosen band of men stood Judas, the one who sounded like a truly sincere disciple. I mean, you remember Mary, right? I mean, she they're hanging out there, and Lazarus is there. He's kind of basking in the glory of being alive again. woo You know, and Mary's there, and she's like anointing Jesus' feet with perfume. And what does Judas say? He's like, do we really have to use all that? I mean, come on. We could use, we could sell this and give the proceeds to the poor. He had no interest in the poor. He was the treasurer. We know he was skimming off the top. He was basically saying, hey, you know what? In his mind, if we don't use it on Jesus now, we can sell it and I'm going to get some of that. His name now synonymous for betrayal. And I guess at any point in time with any portion of our lives, we can look at it, can't we, and go, okay, here's where I'm playing the part. Here's where I'm not real. Here's where I'm not following Christ. Here's where I just kind of play it on Sunday morning. Open defection, firm determination, subtle deception. Um, Everybody fits in that category, I believe, so often. The question is, what do we do with Jesus, the bread of life? I'm going to ask us to just close our eyes for a minute. Um, And I want you to just ask yourself, Tonight, what category do you fall in? The last week, have you been like the grumbling crowd? Have you subtly been deceiving those around you? With life in general or with something very specific? Have you made an attempt at subtly deceiving God, although we know how silly that is since he sees all and knows all? Have you been like Peter, firm, determined to receive Jesus as the bread of life? You know, Peter had his ups and downs, but over the course of his life, we see a man who embraced the bread of life. So much so that ultimately he was crucified upside down for his unshakable faith, firm determination. I think the good news, the beautiful news this evening, that if you came in here with a heart that was on the brink of open defection, or if there's been some sense of subtle deception, regardless, God is still interested in meeting you right where you are. And you are literally one step away from beginning a fresh, new, vibrant walk with a real God who cares and loves and has pursued you to this point. And what I am convinced of is that Jesus calls us not to a race that is for the faint of heart, but one that is to be a living sacrifice for Him. And yet, one in which we can receive all that we need for this race by making Him the main ingredient. Jesus, thank you for reminding us tonight that you are the bread of life. Thanks for reminding us tonight, God, 
that there are lots of ingredients that we'll put on the table this week. But that ultimately, what matters most is if you're in the meal. God, may we not push you off the table, but take you in every day. God, may we walk with you in firm determination, allowing you to have your way with the places that we still try to deceive ourselves and others. God, thank you for meeting us right where we are tonight. Thanks for reminding us you are a good God who loves us unconditionally and has greater plans for us than we can ever imagine. We rest in you, God. We rest in your Son, the bread of life.